Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So I hope everybody's had a wonderful Christmas uh, because as I record this it is now the 28th of December and we are heading towards a new year and um, it's looking like it's going to be quite a good year, I'm not going to lie. Uh, 2022 there's quite a lot of exciting things in the pipeline which we're probably going to touch on in a bit of a New Year's episode as well. But today is going to be a recent events podcast um, because, again, a lot of things going on. It's a funny one, actually, because I basically um, cleared my diary, you know, as they say, um, for, for two weeks um, this this year. It's been quite a hectic year with various different things going on, and I wanted to just completely have a total break from absolutely everything um but as what usually happens during those type of situations all manner of things started happening um so you know i've decided to just jump in and, and do this uh, recent events episode uh, because yeah i just wanted to go through it all the fact is when things happen in the ufo world I basically go through it in detail, try and really figure out, get to the bottom of stuff, double check, you know, facts and information that I'm reading in articles and end up basically writing a lot of notes down and putting things into a, a Word document on my computer. Um, so it's like, you know, whether I actually record this stuff or I, I just do it for my own purposes, I'm still doing it anyway. So I thought, well, you know, let's get another episode, another recent events thing done. So um, there's going to be a bunch of different topics uh, covered uh, today. So if you want to just check out any particular ones, have a look at the description because uh, for these recent events episodes, I always try and do a timestamps thing for each topic um, so you can dip in and out of the ones that you're interested in. Uh, or obviously, if, you, if you're in it for the long haul, get yourself a cup of tea, get yourself comfortable because <laughs> it might be a long one. Right, so first of all then, the NDAA um, has been passed into law and signed by the president. So Joe Biden has actually signed the NDAA, the National Defense, National Defense Authorization Act for 2022, which basically, just in case you've not been following um, the progress of that particular aspect of the news recently uh, it's essentially uh, all of the spending for anything to do with national defense and um, they have to put together um, in, in the united states they put together these um, you know bills which just suggest oh we need to spend money on this or we need to spend money on that um, and then people debate it it has to go through congress and it has to go through the senate everybody kind of has their input on what they think needs changing uh, it all gets kind of you know wrestled around until they've eventually got something they're happy with and then at the very last stage it goes to the president 
and the president signs it. Now, from the UFO angle, the reason this, this is so important is because there was a proposal put forward for a new UAP office, um, and that had um, support from a few different um, representatives in in the from the United States uh, from all different sides of the political spectrum and um, the most significant person involved in that was Senator Gillibrand who actually put forward the the proposal for the office the UAP office and it was backed by a couple of other um, representatives as well and then it made it through into the final language and then now has been signed by Joe Biden so it's all a done deal and uh, there's going to be this new office which is as yet unnamed which will be a central point where all ufo and uap incidents will be reported to all government agencies by law have to cooperate and they have to hand over their data on uap and this new office will have to actually report directly to congress and has to produce reports to congress multiple times a year uh, with a another report as well which is yearly which has to be um, presented to congress and it also has to have an unclassified um, part which will be available to the public and the first one of those i believe is due on the 31st of october so literally halloween we're going to get a uh, spooky um spooky type of uh, report about uh, ufos which is going to be it's quite a cool coincidence i suppose that isn't it now, um, fantastic news, and obviously this happening over the festive period as well was, was kind of even better. Um, it's just been a great Christmas holiday for UFO-related, space-related news recently. And um, the first thing that I would say about it all is that I've talked a lot on the podcast about how governments around the world whichever country you live in it's basically the same thing isn't it and um, how governments represent the people you know a government is not the all-powerful boss that we have to do everything they say it's rather it's totally the opposite the will of people the will of the people is supposed to dictate what the government does we live in a democracy you know the us the uk most of europe you know it's 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 democracy the government has to do what the people want and my argument has been what the people want is to know a lot more about this this isn't some kind of fringe thing that nobody's really bothered about that's all about tinfoil hat idiots and things it's not that i mean you know I don't think it really ever was that. It's just that, you know, over the years, the stigma has built up and been reinforced to the point where, you know, the, the common perception amongst the public is that people don't care about this topic and, you know, it's a waste of money to look into it or anything like that. That really, nowadays, it's quite clear that that absolutely has not really ever been the case. And I think it's it's now more obvious than ever before that there are a lot, a lot of people within the public who are very interested in this thing. And this has literally been a victory for the people. You know, it, it shows what can happen with a bit of good old-fashioned activism. And, you know... UFO Twitter has definitely had a part to play. All of the podcasts and all the people who discuss this topic, you know, I'd like to think I have my own very small part to play in, in the whole thing. Um, and obviously, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon, whether you like them or not, whether you have suspicions about them or not, we can't, you know, deny the fact that they've had a massive part to play. They have been the figureheads of this movement to get this in, into place. And also, Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo actively engaged with Senator Gillibrand's uh, staff to actually put the language in a certain format that is what the people of UFO Twitter and, and all of the interested parties around the world, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon actively got that language into this amendment that was put forward by Senator Gillibrand. Chris Mellon hinted at that very very strongly in in a recent interview that he did and um it's quite clear from from the way that it's all played out you know lou, lou and chris taking a photograph of themselves um you know at the capitol building um you know they've had they've had a, a part to play behind the scenes in in getting exactly what the people of the world are actually curious about into official 
you know law now where where you know we have to take this more seriously and it's going to be looked at and we're going to get further towards the truth than than ever before and and you know big up chris mellon and lou elizondo because they are um you know they've had a, have a huge part to play in, in driving this topic forward so i just wanted to get that in there but just in general it kind of does make you think about a few things, or at least it did with me anyway. Like, this thing is happening now. There's no question. It's not a case of, oh, let's keep our fingers crossed. It's like, right, the president signed it. It's going to happen. So what happens now? What what are we going to be keeping our eye on looking forward into 2022? And the fact is, you know, what happens if we get some clear footage of a UFO? You know, are we going to get that even? Because surely the best quality footage you know, is probably going to be heavily classified because it's probably going to have been taken on the best quality equipment, which is probably the most recent equipment, which is probably the most classified equipment, whether it be, you know, some kind of satellite mounted, um, you know, camera, literally a camera or some kind of radar system or, you know, if there are things that are picking up these, these you know, UFOs, they're probably going to be some of the more advanced and therefore the more classified. So, I do think we have to bear in mind that if anything does come out, it's most likely going to be a couple of generations of tech back from what we're seeing now and what, what's actually being detected now. So that that's worth bearing in mind. But even still, let's say we get some pretty clear footage from, say, 10 or 15 years ago of a photograph of a UFO or some kind of clear, you know, relatively H, HD um you know, a definition of a UFO where it's pretty clear. How are people actually going to handle that? You know, what's the response going to be of different countries around the world? If America releases this footage, what are the Chinese going to do? Are they going to say, all right, okay, fair enough, you've released that, well, we've got this as well, you know? It's a weird thing to think about, isn't it? What about Russia? What about all some unknown country? I mean, I say unknown, I mean, like, unknown in terms of, within the ufo community like there are certain countries that we talk about a lot that have you know a record of, of having investigated ufos what if there's a country that nobody suspected that turned out that they've got something really mind-blowing and and if the u.s actually bring out some some footage or a photograph or, or a new case or whatever whatever it may be maybe that'll then have a knock-on effect on other countries around the world as well i mean surely just the fact that the u.s have actually uh, now signed this into law and they are creating a a ufo office essentially that itself is going to have a knock-on effect around the world as well and it'll be very interesting to see how it all pans out over the course of the next year but the way i see it is that whether or not that happens now or in a hundred years or a thousand years or whatever it might be surely it's best to have the conversation you know we don't necessarily need to wait you know this is something i hear skeptics and you know the more sort of like hardcore debunkers and things like that talk about you know oh well there's no evidence that it's aliens blah blah, blah. well i don't know if alien is really such a dirty word because i mean even if you think, right, there's absolutely zero evidence for aliens, which that's not what I think, obviously, because I've got a podcast about UFOs. If I thought there was absolutely zero evidence, I wouldn't be doing this, would I? But even if you did think that, surely it's still best to have the conversation. Like, what are the the um, implications if we do actually find some life out there in the universe? Which now we know how big the universe actually is you know it does seem statistically likely that there is something out there and you know surely it's best to consider that and have this conversation and the the thought about aliens you know whether or not they are from somewhere in a distant galaxy or whether they're some different dimension or all of the various different theories that there are to explain where these things are coming from you know, even if you believe there's no evidence for it, my point is that it's still interesting and, and good to have that conversation because at some point throughout human history, we are probably going to discover something that could be in a hundred years or a thousand years beyond our lifetimes. Or it could actually be that we're seeing the beginnings of that conversation actually happening right now. And obviously, a photograph or some footage coming out 
that's released through this new UAP office, you know, could be a big part of that initial the putting the wheels in motion of that conversation. Now another possibility that could happen is the government could attempt another cover up and it could be we know for a fact that the government have covered things up in the past don't forget you know they've covered things up with various different um, incidents like Roswell and the Kecksburg crash and those are uh, pretty obviously cover ups and the government have even admitted in the case of Roswell that their initial explanation was a cover up like that's not even a conspiracy theory it's just factual so what happens if they try and pull another Project Blue Book? Now, there's a bit of a different thing here because now it is groundbreaking, this new UAP office and the, the legislation in, in place where all of these various different government departments by law have to report to this office. So that is different to anything that's ever happened before. But something I've not really heard people talk about and I don't, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here because, as I said, the main thing is I'm really excited about this and I can't wait to see how it all progresses and so on. But we have heard about rogue SAPs, you know, special access programs, rogue ones that have gone off the books somehow and they've perhaps at some point in the past been authorised to go off the books by a president who wants to keep anything to do with this topic absolutely uh, secret and then, in fact, possibly subsequent presidents weren't actually aware of this this rogue program because it had been taken sort of off the books gone into the black you know majestic 12 you know has been talked about a lot so sort of shadowy organization that are in charge of the knowledge and, and the the various programs that are looking into anything to do with ufos or crash retrievals you know the government handing over control of these programs to private defense contractors you know and the reason for that is as they say, plausible deniability. So, I mean, what plausible deniability actually means is that they can, you know, without lying, say we don't have any debris because technically they don't have any debris if, if a private uh, defence contractor has taken charge of, of the handling and the, the research into that debris. The government can say, oh, we haven't got anything because they've not technically. That's the whole point of this plausible de deniability thing. And, you know, the reason for a program being taken off the books, as they say, or, you know, the the main kind of um, responsibility being given to private defence contractors is that they're no longer, once that stage is reached, they're no longer accountable to the same laws and oversight as what most programmes are. And if you do think that is the case, then it stands to reason that this new UAP office won't actually be able to get any info from from some of these uh, programs. So what I would predict, perhaps a little bit pessimistically, is that we will see a glimpse more of what's going on with this whole thing, but perhaps not the full picture. And if there are indeed departments that have been, you know, reverse engineering UFO technology um, or materials or anything like that, as the um, the Wilbur Smith Wilbert Smith uh, memo suggested, quote: "Flying saucers exist. The matter is the most highly classified subject in the U.S. government, rating higher even than the H bomb." Unquote. And. As the Wilson memo suggests, if you believe it is indeed authentic, even presidents and top cleared people can't get into this info. When you bear all that in mind, I'm not really holding out much hope that this new UAP office will be able to really get into the gory details. You know, I have theorised in the past that... Um, even people like Chris Mellon, who's been in a very high position where you would think that he would have the ability to get into all of the, the facts and the, the data on this thing. Even people like Eric Davis, I don't think has seen the full extent of it, but they've seen enough to be convinced that there's really something there, but they've just been unable to get to the bottom of it. And we may find the same thing happening with this UAP office, for all we know. But I think it's fairly likely that we are going to see some new kind of breadcrumbs, you know, some little bits of information, definitely the possibility of some new cases coming to light via the reports that come through this new UAP office. Um, 
But there will be a, a sort of ongoing battle to find the full extent of this stuff for many years to come. So uh, I, th I guess what I'm saying is don't drop your guard. If you've been actively campaigning for this UAP office, uh, we've achieved that, which is great. Now on to the next battle. And I'm sure the extent of this, you know, the next battle will be clearer and clearer as the months go along and we see how things start to unfold. Um, you know, and, and the other thing to consider is pressure from things like the Galileo Project and UAPX and the sort of inevitable other private groups which are bound to be set up as the interest in UAP grows. We may be reaching a point where it's no longer viable to even try and cover everything up. And we will, in that, if that is the case, we'll, we'll see more and more um, transparency on, on the issue. But we'll see, um, you know, but one thing that I find very reassuring going forward into 2022 is that there are, you know, we have our fingers in many pies. I don't know if that's an expression that's used elsewhere in the world, but having your finger in lots of pies, you know, is like having lots of uh, options open to you for various different avenues to, to look into the UFO topic. So we've got obviously this new UAP office within, from within the government. Um, and we've also got things like the Galileo Project with all its funding and all of the experts that are part of that team. And we've got organisations like UAPX, similar kind of situation, uh, not as not as well funded, but you know, still very, very good approach of looking into data-driven research on UAPs. They've got things like Gary Nolan with his research into materials. There's just so many different angles that are, that are all kind of leading to the same point. So it's very exciting. Speaking of different angles, moving on to the James Webb Telescope. So on Christmas Day, Christmas Day, we were treated to the James Webb Telescope being launched into space. So if you're anything like me, which you may well be if you're listening to this podcast, the whole family was uh, crowded around the TV watching the launch of this telescope. So we had our Christmas breakfast, opened up some presents, etc., and then we watched the basically the most significant scientific observatory blast off into space. You know, what an amazing thing to happen on Christmas Day. This is, you know, an absolutely enormous moment for human beings you know, and it always amazes me how I can watch something like that, be so affected by it that you know, almost kind of brought a tear to my eye. You know, and then talking to a friend or a family member, I'm like, um, you know, did you see the launch of the telescope? And they'd be like, what? What? What launch? Didn't know anything was happening. You know, and they're just completely unaware of it, which is uh, it's quite fascinating, really. But I'll come back to that bit later on. Anyway, there's another point that I'll make in a bit about that but the james webb telescope uh, basically has been described as a successor to the hubble telescope so only this time it's much more capable um and i've heard people describe it as like going from 480p on youtube you know when you have your quality settings for your video it's a bit like going from 480p all the way up to 4k you know it's it's much much uh, clearer and, and much higher definition and uh, the James Webb was launched on Christmas Day after separating from the Ariane 5 rocket that launched it. It started its long and lonely mission to a point a million miles away from the Earth, um, which is just quite mind-blowing, really, when you think about it. And um, at the point of recording this, I've actually got the tab open, so let me just quickly check it. We are currently, the James Webb is currently... Uh, three days and uh, 47 minutes and 45 seconds um, into its uh, mission and it is currently 291,800 miles away from the earth and then literally every second that goes by it's going another it's going another mile away so it's going a mile every second which is just amazing like things like that it's hard to get your head around isn't it how something can be almost three hundred thousand miles away from the earth and it only launched a few days ago um it's gone a long way but there's a long way to go as I say, it's got to arrive at a point a million miles away from the Earth. Uh, so it's currently, uh, apparently according to this, 32.47% of the way uh, to where it needs to go. Oh, its actual cruising speed is is uh, 
0.66 miles a second so it's actually not a full miles mile a second but still going pretty rapid so um yeah and it's got some steps to get through before it actually reaches its final point so at the moment it basically was launched it separated from its rocket and now it's on its way um, and there's a point very very soon where the sun shield i believe actually uh, goes into operation and then the various different mirrors um unfurl and the segments of the mirror kind of all come into, into place and it, and it eventually by the time it actually arrives at its final destination um, it's fully operational and and um, everything is set to go so there is a little bit of a way to go before it reaches its final position in, in, in full operation, but it's very exciting to see um, where we're up to. So the, the problems with the telescopes that we have here on Earth is that the Earth's atmosphere basically massively interferes with the ability to see things that are really far away, put very simply. So the idea of Hubble was to get a telescope mounted out in space to be able to see further away because you bypass the Earth's atmosphere then altogether. Um, the James Webb has a, has a similar thing, but it's a, a continuation basically of the same uh, concept. It has a very complicated heat shield, which in addition to avoiding the Earth's atmosphere, it also blocks off the light and, and the heat from the sun to enable the operation at a lower temperature which uh, several kind of key pieces of the equipment need to operate at this low temperature to to be effective um the mid infrared instrument is is quite an important one on the james webb telescope and it's able to see very faint light coming from very very distant stars and it can also see through dust and, and gas to actually be able to spot uh, stars being born and things like that and it also has a spectrograph which actually breaks up the light spectrum into its uh, various different wavelengths um, and it has a, a camera and a coronagraph which can block out starlight and, and look at really faint objects which are very close to stars. So it's got a whole bunch of technology on board basically which is going to just give the clearest picture of, of the universe uh, that we've ever had. So it's a, a monumental um, moment for humans. And you know, that's why I say, you know, a bit of a tear in my eye when I was watching this telescope be launched because it's an absolutely massive thing. It's, just for a second, I was just thinking like you know as humans for all the good that we do all the bad that we do you know we've just managed to achieve that one thing and it's really for that moment something that all of humanity can look at and be proud you know like we're just mooching around doing whatever we can day to day you know humans it can be quite a confusing existence you know but then all of a sudden we launch this thing which allows us to be able to look like you know an unbelievable distance out into space like that's something that as humans we can all be proud of you know and when you do look out into the universe like that the light that you can see has taken millions and even billions of years to get to us like when you look at the stars at night that's not light that's just happened is it it's light that happened a long long time ago and in all the time that it took for that light to actually arrive here on earth you know, millions or billions of years has gone by. That's how far away these things actually are. And that's something I read about a while back is, as you look out at those stars, some of those stars are actually no longer there. Or some of those stars are totally different now to what they were when the light actually initially left the point where the star is in the universe. The time that it took for that light to get from there to here, the star may no longer be there by the time the light actually arrives with us, which is quite amazing to think and basically the further out you can see the longer it has taken for that light to actually get to us so as a result of that the further out you can see the further back in time you're actually seeing so the james webb can apparently see out to so far that it's actually looking at light that initially left the the, the source where the light came from roughly a couple of hundred million years after the big bang um, so it's worth noting that it, it will not actually be able to see the Big Bang as, as far as we're aware. Um, I've seen a few people say that and it's not actually correct. It, you can't see the Big Bang itself using this particular telescope. Um, but what you, what you can see is 
somewhere in the region of you know a couple of hundred million years after the big bang you know it sounds like nothing then oh a couple of hundred million years after the big bang <laughs> so it's a long time 100 million years is a is a long long time so 100 million years they're just such huge numbers it's hard to get your head around but they're basically not exactly sure how far back exactly they will be able to see that will become clearer um, as it goes along but the best case scenario estimates around about 100, 100 million years after the big bang and make no mistake you know th that is further back than we've ever been able to see in this much detail and it will definitely give us some key insights as to how the universe was formed dark matter you know possibly and 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 who knows what else this piece of technology will see it's just a case of hoping that everything else on the mission goes to plan and that we can get some interesting data sent back from the telescope and i've heard that it will be round about six months from the launch date which has obviously already happened successfully now it'll be around about six months before we get back data um, which is ready for release to the public so i think the data will start coming back before that but then they have to analyze the data interpret the data you know go through it all and then eventually it gets you know released to the public so i think that's just another very exciting thing to look forward to this year and in the next 10 years which i believe is the mission life of the web uh, telescope so we've got 10 years of of getting uh, data back from it um, so yeah there you go that's uh, the James Webb and the, the goings on there but you know just like I say you can't go wrong with a rocket launch on Christmas day can you you know the countdown the, the slight nervousness what if it explodes you know sort of thing and especially with the way that this one relates to space you know ex exploration and, and potentially you know UFOs and things um, it is um, it was a phenomenal way to uh, spend Christmas day no pun intended so Moving on from that then, uh, NASA have apparently recruited 24 theologians to take part in a NASA-sponsored program at the Center for Theological Inquiry, CTI, at Princeton in the US to assess how the world's major religions would react to news that life exists on worlds beyond our own. So um, this has been reported in quite a few different blog websites and, and uh, newspapers and things that I've been reading about over the holidays. And um, the Times in particular, the Times is a, a, a fairly respectable UK newspaper. Uh, their headline was, quote, Heavens above, NASA enlists priest to prepare for an alien discovery, unquote. So, you know, quite an interesting uh, point, really, isn't it? And it seems to me that there's been quite a few of these um, things cropping up recently. I mean, this is actually in addition to Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon recently joining the Galileo Project. And part of their role is, well, their role basically consists of two main things. To advise on sensor placement, to tell the Galileo Project where to put their sensor equipment, their telescopes, in order to have the best chance of seeing something which is if you if you wanted anybody to do that you would want chris and lou to do it so that was a great decision but also the other part of their role is to assess the impact of discovery of extraterrestrial life and what impact that would have on on the public so that that was the first one of the first things i heard about of, of people really having these conversations and then there was our future in space uh, as well recently the the kind of um uh, the, the the collection of people to discuss uh, various aspects of of space exploration and where we're actually heading as a human race and you know it, it definitely it, it definitely reminds me that we're living right at the moment we're living in uh, quite an exciting time just for ex space exploration in general and humanity is kind of on the cusp of being a multi-planet species you know we've got mars exploration we've got this you know this new uh, James Webb telescope's just been launched. We've got the American government taking UAP way more seriously than ever before, and so many really exciting things going on. But I suppose you know the more conspiratorial-minded amongst us may be sort of thinking that this perhaps begs the question: Are there some rollout efforts underway? You know. I tend to veer away from the conspiracy stuff because I do think in these big organisations, more often than not, as a few people have said, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. 
you know. But, you know, having said that, we've seen a few Hollywood films recently about asteroid impacts, aliens, and space in general. And there's been, you know, an asteroid-busting satellite launch to see if satellites can actually knock an asteroid off course. You know, John Ramirez, you know, uh, long-standing CIA operative with a with a distinguished career who who I've been talking to recently and John himself has actually suggested um some of it based on his actual you know career that he's had and some of the things that he's seen during his his career and some of it obviously is based on speculation as as John is is keen to point out uh, as well when he does interviews and things like that but John suggests that a government rollout of disclosure is underway and that the James Webb could be actually trying to look for something that they already know is there, and they're doing all of this as part of this disclosure rollout. And uh, John and others have suggested that the CIA acts as advisors to Hollywood, and in, in this way they can actually shoehorn in certain messages that they're trying to disseminate to the public through movies and entertainment. I mean, that's kind of the... Uh, TTSA approach wasn't it really that's what TTSA wanted to do uh, to create fiction with factual elements in order to be able to get things out which perhaps they wouldn't be able to just come out and say and you know it sounds wacky that but it's it's almost certainly happening and has been happening for a long long time in all of the countries around the world that the the governments the people in control certainly sort of encourage a certain narratives within entertainment and it depends like which country you're looking at as to what extent that happens but you know the concept of the u.s army coming in to save the day at the end of a blockbuster action movie is quite a regular occurrence we don't even bat an eyelid you know but it's very often that 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 that's the case and like the chinese for example and the chinese government controls media freedom very significantly you know that that's like one end of the scale but in in the states and a lot of other places the cia being involved or other you know organizations being involved to encourage certain things being shown in a certain light perhaps you know in exchange for the um you know a bit of help with this or a bit of help with that or certain funding being secured i, I would say that, that that that's quite likely that it could happen I suppose it's like a lot of things though, how deep does it go? Is it purely a nudge in a certain direction or is the CIA or similar actively influencing Hollywood to push certain narratives on UFOs, for example, to prepare the scene for what they're about to unveil? You know, personally, I'm a bit sceptical about it. I would love to think that that's actually what it is, but I, I tend to think that it is mostly coincidence. It's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, really. It's like, you know... Are the public interested in things like that so it ends up in films? Or is it that it ends up in films because of, like, you know, behind-the-scenes nudges and then the public become interested in it? You know, I don't really know, but I think it's an interesting area for discussion. Um, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on it as well. So, as always, if anyone wants to get in touch and let me know your thoughts on, on all of this, it'd be great to hear from you. So, it's at UFO Thinker on Twitter and UFO Thinker at Hotmail.com. Let me know. Let me know what you guys reckon. It's always interesting to hear uh, feedback on things like that. But, as I say, it's that thing of, you know, either way that you look at it with those scenarios there... Is it that things to do with aliens and asteroids and stuff like that are all being shown in films a lot at the moment because the public are genuinely interested in it? If that's the case, then it only strengthens the, um, you know, the, the thought of, 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 you know, the public are really interested in UFOs and, and aliens and the possibility of life out there in the universe. So absolutely the government should be taking this more seriously and setting up things like this UAP office. If it is purely that the public are really interested in these topics and that's why they're being shown in films so much, then it really backs up the uh, the legitimacy of this area for further study. Or if it's the other way, that these things end up in films because of direction behind the scenes from organisations like perhaps the CIA, then that's obviously very interesting as well because it means that the CIA are actually directing public opinion to you know sort of prepare the ground for things to come so either way you look at it it's kind of interesting isn't it 
But anyway, moving on from that to a bit of a controversial one now. So there's controversy around the Lou Elizondo and Tom DeLonge meeting. So you may have seen this, you may not. I think it was you know one of the slightly less discussed things that came out recently. So basically there was a leak on Reddit recently about an individual claiming to be a quote first full disclosure i am a u.s army counterintelligence agent unquote so that's what this person is claiming to be a u.s army counterintelligence agent and the poster which i'll refer to him as says he was a made he was made aware of Lou Elizondo and eventually ends up on the phone to Lou Elizondo and after being intrigued about the UFO topic and so on he asks Lou if he can be considered as an investigator for ATIP so then Lou and the poster set up a meeting and this is obviously quite a long story short the be- the best uh, thing to do is to um, read the full thing yourself if if you're interested and um, a, a good place to actually find this is uh, the black vault uh, so if you go to the blackvault.com uh, it's one of the most recent um, stories that's been run on, on the black vault website and also a full version of the text is there as well, um, along with some commentary by John Greenwald, which you may or may not agree with, but the actual full post is there to read, and I think that's the easiest way to find it. So, long story short, the poster has a couple of meetings with Lou and Tom DeLonge, and Lou says a lot of Lou stuff, basically. He says things like, you know, the videos in the news, the stuff that's still classified is way crazier. Now, that's um, a quote from the actual uh, the text that was posted on Reddit. And it does, when you hear that, sound like something that Lou Elizondo would say. You know, but then again, if you were creating some kind of fake fake account here, it'd be quite easy to just take a few snippets of the type of things that Lou typically says and include them in this to make it seem more real. But anyway, it's claimed, according to the poster, that that's the kind of thing that Lou Elizondo said that, that, that convinced the poster that there's something to this and got him interested. And, you know, Tom DeLonge says a lot of Tom DeLonge-type stuff, which, like, things like, quote, some type of creatures coming through portals on Earth, unquote. Um, and apparently in, in one incident, these creatures used some kind of weapon to turn a dog into a grease stain. Um, it's very much the kind of stuff that Tom DeLonge says, isn't it? But again, you know, does that mean anything? Because you could easily just make up a few Tom DeLonge-esque quotes and throw them in to make the whole thing seem more credible. It's always a tricky one. But he also mentioned, apparently, Tom DeLonge, that um, according to the poster, that there was a quote, a Cold War or equivalent to the Syria situation, unquote, taking place between a, se- a species of extraterrestrial that is already here, quote, under the oceans, unquote, and another from somewhere else that is currently, quote, on the moon, unquote. So again, very much the sort of stuff that Tom DeLonge says. A bit difficult to really decipher how much of that speculation and how much of it's uh, factual, but it is what it is. Another thing that struck me as a bit weird was the um, the statement within the poster's uh, text that, that was posted there, uh, which was, uh, quote, Tom DeLonge is a huge dude, like ripped and taller than me and i'm fairly tall was not expecting that unquote now that just hit me as a bit odd i mean like i found out from quickly googling it that tom delonge is six foot four which i must admit is surprising to me i didn't think he was that tall he just doesn't i don't know it doesn't seem to be that tall but then again you don't go around measuring celebrities do you so i suppose you know you wouldn't know that until you met him so again does that actually mean that it lends credibility to the poster's post or does it just mean that he googled tom delonge found an unusual characteristic about him on purpose to include in the post to make it seem more you know that's the problem with these kind of anonymous posts it's um you know you're always going to end up analyzing to the nth degree and you end up just you know it's so difficult to conclude anything from it but the other thing was that Tom DeLonge is about 187 pounds in weight, 
I use pounds when I'm measuring myself and things because I've I've done Muay Thai and, and I'm interested in uh, the UFC and MMA and things like that, uh, which is uh, most of the fighters, well, all the fighters in there, they measure in pounds. So I've always measured myself in pounds and stuff. So I know that 187 pounds is not that big. It's not really somebody who's within the military and, you know, themselves are actually quite a big guy because you can see this guy if it is actually the poster the guy who is in the video footage of this interview seems to be a very big guy so it doesn't really add up that somebody that is quite a big guy and has probably been around a lot of people who are big guys being in the military and you know you don't tend to end up with really scrawny people in the military do you let's be honest so he's probably got some experience of being around people who are bigger in stature so to think that Tom DeLonge is, is huge and ripped, that he says in, um, in, in the quote there in the post, considering he's 187 pounds, doesn't really make sense. I mean, huge, like tall, yeah, because six foot four is tall, but 187 pounds is not really that big. I mean, 185 pounds in the UFC is uh, middleweight. Um, when you go up to 205, it's light heavyweight. And then when you go up to like 225 and above, you're into the real heavyweight people. So I'd say 185 is quite standard, really. Um, you know, you go down to like 155, 170, that's kind of slightly smaller than, than mid-range. But you're not absolutely huge if you're 187 pounds. So it did strike me as a bit of a weird comment. But anyway, it may just be overanalyzing a bit there. So the key point anyway, getting to the nitty gritty, is that one of these meetings was filmed from afar and it was used in the show Unidentified uh, without consent of the poster. And this was this is the, the actual footage that I was talking about where you can see the poster. Now, um, so that's how I was talking about the fact that he appears to be quite a big lad. Um, it seems that he, uh, the poster is suggesting that it was shown in the TV show with him blurred out so you can see that the individual but the face is blurred etc and apparently if somebody is blurred out um, then you don't need their permission to show them in the footage as long as they are blurred out so i think there's a suggestion here that lou and delonge were sort of dishonest here at least to a certain extent and that the clip used suggests that due to the fact that the poster was in in military uniform and um, they were all sat around a table, that there was potentially something more significant being discussed there than what was actually discussed. I think that seems to be what a lot of people are saying, that like, oh, okay, um, you know, this guy has basically been blagged into appearing, you know, he's gone there in uniform and the whole thing had been set up to make it look as though some, some kind of big meeting's taking place and so on. But as I'm going to get to in a minute, it's not exactly clear that Lou Elizondo or Tom DeLonge were dishonest at all. They may not have actually known that anything was being filmed, you know, let alone being used in, in the show. You know, it's not very clear really anything at all. It's an interesting thing to be aware of, but it's not like something that totally changes everything. You know, me personally, I don't really see any great significance in this. I think, again, it's worth knowing about, but until the person actually steps forward themselves, you know, does some video interviews about this whole thing, it doesn't really add a lot to the conversation because it's not, um, you know, it's not verifiable. Now, John Greenwald has said that this person approached him in 2019, and from what John Greenwald can see, the person is 100% legit, he has shown him evidence of his career and so on and, and his, his background. And according to John Greenwald, everything adds up. And I think John Greenwald is basically saying, look, you know, make your own conclusions from, from what I'm saying. But I think it's safe to say that, that, that John's kind of uh, takeaway from it is that it throws a little bit of doubt on certain things, legitimacy of what's been shown in, in Unidentified and TTSA in general. John's definitely had his criticisms of uh, the organisation and, and some of their, um, you know, some of their things that they did. So let's assume that that is correct. Okay, so the person is legit. Let's just take John's word for it for a minute. What does that mean? So 
Tom DeLonge says some pretty out there stuff. We already knew that, okay? So that's nothing new. Lou Elizondo drops breadcrumbs and, you know, he came out with his usual kind of Lou Elizondo lines, which we all sort of know and love, I guess, you know, for the most part. Um, we already knew that too, you know. Tom DeLonge kind of white lied a bit to give certain officials the impression that he was in contact with high up people when that wasn't strictly the case. Uh, and he, he did that, you know, to basically gain trust in some people to be able to get them to go, you know, um, to, to, to open up about certain things. And perhaps we didn't know that that was factually the case, but I kind of already assumed that that's what he did, to be honest. I mean, it's not exactly the most honourable way to approach people, but it did work. And I don't think it was like totally out of order. It's just a little bit questionable but not really out of order. And it's kind of how I assumed that he probably did get a foot in the door with a lot of these people. I mean, it's been verified that he had ongoing communications with John Podesta and things like that. And, you know, you, you don't just randomly do that. You have to kind of convince people that, you know, I'm legit, I'm not dodgy, I've been speaking to this person and this person. Perhaps he just kind of you know exaggerated his his um contacts with other individuals a little bit to gain the trust of some people really high up now not necessarily you know the most honorable way to go about it i guess you could put it that way but you know he did what he did and he did get results from it so you know it but it, it when you look at it all like that it does kind of indicate that luella zondo and chris mellon's you know real kind of um you know credible um above board approach is perhaps slightly different to tom delonge and also the willingness of tom delonge to kind of connect threads between this thing and this thing and this thing which the threads may be a little bit you know not exactly the clearest links there uh, whereas lou and chris really don't do that and they refrain from doing all of that it does suggest, actually, when you look at the bigger picture, that that's probably why Lou and Chris departed from TTSA and, and parted ways with, with Tom. So, actually, all of this, to me, is, is sort of does make sense in the bigger picture. And, you know, Lou has said, you know, Tom's Tom, you know, and, and that's Lou's very diplomatic way of saying, look, Tom has a bit of a different approach to what I do and what Chris does. You know, we already knew that all of this was the case if you've looked into it. So I don't think that what's come out through this post on Reddit is necessarily telling us anything we didn't already know. And I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup, to be quite honest. Now, the fact is, this isn't a smoking gun to suggest that like Lou Elizondo and Tom DeLonge are frauds. You know, it's nothing like that, really. If anything, it could just be said that the use of the clip in, in that context of the show was a little bit disingenuous. I accept that. If this poster is correct and it is true this, then yeah, the use of that clip in the context that it was shown probably was a bit disingenuous. But I suppose, you know, people who are looking for something to jump on there will say that it makes you question what else was presented in that series. But to be honest, I already questioned the hell out of that series and any series in general. You know, that clip had some impact i'll admit when you're watching it but if you see that clip and it convinces you more than all the other facts and evidence presented that you know something's going on and if that clip was taken out you completely would change your mind you might want to reconsider your approach if that's the case i mean i think that you know it's interesting to know about this development which is why i've covered it here I'd be interested to hear Lou's thoughts on it because as as, a, um, as far as I know, he, he's not commented on it directly and, and Tom DeLonge is too, uh, potentially. Because it may be that neither Tom nor Lou were even aware of the filming. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think that they probably were aware of the usage of the clip in the show, but it may be that they didn't even know it was being filmed at the time. It may be that Tom knew but Lou didn't. You know, there's a lot of different factors in there, so... We don't really know everybody's side of the story. We don't even know if this poster is, is legit. You know, we're, we're literally having to take John Greenwald's word for it without us having been able to see this person's face in a video and talk about it and so on. So, as I said, I think the main thing I got from all of this is that it does kind of point to me that there are certain reasons that Lou and Chris and, and others stepped away from TTSA um, and 
I was kind of already aware of all of that and this just kind of backs that up really that that's all I really got from it is a significant point you know who knows maybe there'll be more comes available about this particular story as time goes along but I just don't think it's as significant as some people are trying to make out so we're going to finish off a slightly more light-hearted uh, uh, little uh, segment here to finish with, which is a little review, mini-review, micro-review, I guess you could call it, because it's going to be short, of the film Don't Look Up. And um, I just thought it was really interesting. I like the title as well, Don't Look Up, because even that seems to sort of hint at something to do with UFOs. You know, the uh, Andy at that UFO podcast always says, keep looking up, you know. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny there's a film called Don't Look Up um, but basically I saw this new film over the Christmas holidays um, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and um, it, it reminded me of a lot of things that I've been talking about recently to do with cataclysms and um, you know Avi Loeb has talked a lot about um, cataclysms and the possibility of asteroid and comet impact and how humanity should be taking it more seriously we've heard about um, the future human hypothesis and um, the potential that future humans are actually coming back and um, trying to warn us or prevent a cataclysm from happening all of these types of things which again you may or may not take seriously but the things that people are chatting about so even though this film's not directly related to ufos i think it's worth a watch because it touches on a lot of areas that are in common really with uh, the ufo topic there's some tie-ins there you know so i'm not going to go into anything into too much detail because i don't want to spoil the film for anybody who's not seen it which you know probably a lot haven't because it's only just come out i think but it's basically about a scientist who discovers that a huge comet is heading towards the earth and people are quite reluctant to take seriously uh, what he's saying basically they're all caught up in uh, all these various different aspects of day-to-day -day life and uh, you know aren't really interested in hearing about this profound thing that he's saying and <clears throat> that in itself really is something that i thought was a definite parallel with the ufo topic and this is what i mentioned about earlier that um i was thinking about i was going to go back to is the the james webb telescope being launched because it really baffled me when i spoke to people and, and said oh did you watch the launch and they were like what launch what are you talking about like just people had no idea and i remember thinking the same thing when elon musk launched that um i think it was a falcon heavy the rocket that uh, could be uh, reused and carry a massive payload into space and he launched a tesla car into space with a spaceman sitting in the driving seat and playing a, a, a david bowie song i can't remember the song now but um i remember when that was launched i was really excited about it all day counting down and sort of watched the launch and i just thought it was absolutely amazing what um you know what the technology in, in our day and age can achieve and i remember again same thing of talking to a few friends and they were just like what I had no idea anything was happening you know and for me it's such a profound thing you know this is the technology that's going to eventually enable humans to go to mars you know that's one of elon musk's big goals within his lifetime and he's created this system of reusable rockets and you know it's just such a huge thing for me that and then to have other people who i respect you know people that i really like spending time with who just have no interest and no awareness of it at all it's quite fascinating and uh again i think that's what this film sort of touches on is that it's like you can have something as mind-blowing as an asteroid that's heading towards the earth that's going to wipe everybody out and um you know at the same time there's people who just would be so caught up in their day-to-day -day life that they won't even pay any attention to it you know and it baffles me that there's something that can seem so profound you know that it, that it really occupies my mind a lot of the time you know whereas i'm talking about ufos now you know it's something that it just seems like something that once you know about the the, the possibility of this thing happening that maybe there is life elsewhere in the universe or there's life somewhere that's non-human that's interacting with humans to me that's just so profound I can't just go oh, okay cool and then get on with the rest of my day it's like what you know and um a lot of people in the wider public still think about tinfoil hats when you mention ufos you know but like so many people that i know that i interact with on a day-to-day -day basis 
don't even know about the Gillibrand Amendment. Even people within the UFO topic, some don't know about the, the Gillibrand Amendment and what's going on. And there's people who, who aren't even aware that the James Webb Telescope launched or what it can do. And, it, you know, it, that's what the film made me think about. But anyway, the, the, you know, the actual film itself, I, I really enjoyed as I say, definitely some parallels there with things that, uh, you know, within the UFO topic. And, and it does, you know, essentially relate to space and things like that. So um, I just thought it was worth mentioning. I really enjoyed watching it. I actually quite struggle with films, to be honest with you. Um, something that occurred to me a few years back was that whenever you're watching a film, you're just watching people that are pretending to be other people. I know that sounds really obvious, but like once you kind of once you realise that, like it takes you right out of that zone, you know. And and a lot of films, you know, I struggle to really get into the zone with. But this one I did, you know, I really got into it and and I enjoyed watching it. So partly because of the the sort of links to uh, you know to to UFOs as well. But I recommend it. Definitely worth a watch. Um, but we're gonna leave it there for now uh, because we've just past the hour mark which is what i always aim for with these episodes um so i hope you've enjoyed listening to my little roundup of what's been going on there over the festive season and uh i've got a really interesting episode that's going to be coming out soon with um uh, nick gadman who was uh, uh i did a discussion with uh, a week or two ago um all about his experiences with ufos um local lad as well from from manchester very close to where i am so i definitely recommend you tuning into that one because it's definitely not one you want to miss um and uh, plenty of new exciting things coming up in january i've got plenty of interviews lined up and um things like that so uh yeah keep keep checking back because there's plenty of exciting things going on and i'll be here to talk about them as they happen so i hope everybody has a wonderful um new year and continues to enjoy the 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 festive holidays all the best uh, from me and mine to you and yours and um until next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you in the next episode UFO Fever Podcast. Podcast.